If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Donald McIntyre and this is Click for Murder, the companion podcast to CBS Reality's new television series. Now, throughout this series, we're revealing some of the most disturbing crimes of recent history, where the internet has been used as a tool to trick, torture and to kill innocent victims lured into a virtual world where nothing is quite what it seems. Well, on today's episode, we're looking at the case of Sami Almari, the New Yorker who met Nadine Aburis of Cardiff on an international dating website. After luring her with a web of lies, he then launched a campaign of terror before brutally murdering her. But what drove this killer and could he have been stopped? And what role did the internet play in a case that led to an international manhunt? Today, joining me to discuss this case, as ever, are Dr Elizabeth Yardley, Associate Professor and Director of the Centre for Applied Criminology at Birmingham City University. Welcome, Liz. Hello. And also Clinical Forensic Psychologist Mike Berry. Welcome. Thank you. Here's the background. Nadina Burris was a 26-year-old Muslim from Cardiff. She came from a loving family, but had yet to find Mr. Right. So like millions of Britons, she turned to the internet to try and find love and joined a dating site called Muslim Match. She had many online suitors, but the one who grabbed her attention the most was a 42-year-old American called Sami Almari. Now, at this stage of the story, Liz... How was Almari selling himself, marketing himself online? He was really giving it the hard sell. He basically said that he was very wealthy, that he lived in New York, which is obviously a very expensive place in the world to live, that he had many houses, that he had a car dealership. He really was kind of painting a picture of of the American dream. He also was creating a sense of the intrigue. He was a FBI agent. I mean, he was a kind of an international man of all things. This was an extraordinary character. His, his story is wrong to start with, but it reminds me of so many fantasies that we've had all over the world. And usually they, they claim to be SAS, because that's really macho. And these women 
and it's predominantly women find this so sexy, so exciting that they fall for it. But this was a picture that, as we've seen in so many cases, was and should have appeared to be too good to be true. It's the old adage, isn't it? If it looks too good to be true, it probably is. So I think that the trouble here is that, that when you have the, the internet, when you have social media, you can be whoever you want to be online. You can create personas online, and especially when you're in a, a dating environment. So often when we're on social media, we're talking to people that we know in the real world face-to-face anyway. Here, we're selling ourselves, we're marketing ourselves. So I think everybody tends to elaborate and exaggerate to some degree. But but what you've got going on here really is quite fantastic. I think there's a false sense of security nowadays because we think that online we can check everybody else out on on, on Facebook or LinkedIn and, and, and check out you know, the time they did in the local marathon next door to where they lived. And so there is a lot of kind of incidental information. But what went wrong here? Why couldn't she or do we think she did try and do a little bit of online Google background check on him? She probably didn't. She probably just believed what he said. And the fact that he'd actually said it in public that he was all these different things, she probably did accept it. But she's vulnerable. She has gone on to the web to find a man. So therefore, she's vulnerable, and he is, is picking up on that vulnerability. Well, we know he's lying about his job, his money, and so on, but he also seems to be spinning another web of deceit. And here's Nadine's sister, Anisa. He'd say, oh, well, I've gone to Alcoholics Anonymous because of you and I'm starting to stop drinking because of you. She says, Mahoui, I can't pursue a relationship with somebody who has this addiction. And if if our relationship does progress, I don't want this to be a part of our life. And he said, for you, Nadine, I'll do anything. Why is he doing this? Well, he's presenting himself as vulnerable there. He's presenting himself as as a victim. And abusers are generally quite good at playing the role of the victim. So he's basically creating a role for for her. As a saviour. Exactly. You are the one who can save me. You're the one who can turn my life around. But it seems to me as if she seemed to be comfortable with that age gap. What do you think of this age gap? She was 26, he was 42. I think that places her in a particular position in the relationship. She she wants somebody who's going to look after her. And and I think that's that's the idea that he's selling her. He's selling her this idea of a future in which he needs her and she needs him. So she's she's got that feeling of security quite early on and I think that's quite a toxic thing in his arsenal. I think he's he's performing the role of a provider. I've got money, I've got status, I've got the cars, I've got everything that you want. I can provide you with that. All I want is your love, devotion and things like that. Liz, I mean, in terms of selling, you talk about he's selling himself and in many ways uh, suitors and they're buying into that image that he's selling. Can this only happen in the online world, to certainly to the extent which it appears to have happened here? Well, people have been selling themselves to potential partners you know, since the dawn of time. But what the internet enables people to do is do it in a very efficient and effective way. So it doesn't involve too much in the way of time or resource. You don't have to provide kind of hard evidence of the, the things that you're saying, whereas you might have to do that in a face-to-face encounter. After months of conducting their relationship online, they were keen to meet. So Almari flew to Cardiff finally to see Nadine face to face. But not everything went as planned. And what's interesting, it's Nadine's family, Liz, especially her mom, who was not particularly impressed by Sammy. Uh, What alerted their suspicions? 
Well, he turned up and he was quite scruffy. He was quite dishevelled. He kept his sunglasses on all the time. And he was quite distant. He didn't make much of an effort with them. Why? I don't know is the, is the answer. I, I would have thought he was being slightly arrogant, thinking, well, they don't, they don't matter. I think, I think arrogance is that's a good point, yeah. Yeah, and I think he's, he's done enough of a job on yeah. Nadine at this point Sufficient. in time to, to know that, that she's not going to, to kind of attempt to damage that. Yeah. So doesn't this point to the fact that the online world is so much easier to sell online? He now felt that he didn't have to even work with her family because he's done such an encompassing job selling himself and entrapping, capturing Nadine. The family haven't been part of the grooming process, have they? Because online, you're able to zoom your attention in on that particular individual and, and completely isolate the, the family. So, so when you come to meet them face to face, there's nothing to do. And yet, despite her family's wise reservations, Almari wins over Nadine during the trip. Is there the sense that her online vision of him corrupted what uh, he actually was and what he was in true life? Well, before he even turned up in the flesh, he'd completely sold the idea of himself to her. And and I think it's very difficult for, for us to kind of backpedal once we've really bought into that idea of a relationship with someone. Mike, on his return to the US, the relationship now blossoms. He sends her money. He paints a picture of a nice house, friends and even a dog. And he's continuing to sell himself here and to build even a broader picture. What's in his mind? Oh, he's continuing the grooming. I like the uh, the dog image because that gives again the picture of somebody stable, responsible, protective, provider. He is producing this beautiful picture of what she is going to come to America, marry him and, and get in the future. And it's beautifully done, groomed her perfectly. And it's easy to control somebody if you give them an idea of something to believe in, especially if it's something incredibly attractive like that. At this stage, what is he, what is he looking for? She's bought into this dream and she's been sold the dream and she has that dream ticket now. What's he playing at? That's a good question because we don't... What's he getting at? He's not getting sex from her 6,000 miles away or 3,000 miles away, whatever it is. He's not getting a lot of kudos by having her on his arm or as a trophy young female or anything like that. And I do apologise for the sexism of that. But he's not getting any of those things from it. So is he actually falling in love with her? I don't think so. I think it's, it's the idea of control. I that think, distance away, though. Yeah, and I think that that gives him even more of a sense of power that, that I can control this individual from the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, do we think Nadine was being naive here? I mean, I get the sense, actually, she's just being a normal, honest, engaging people, taking them at face value. And I'm sure she did some background checks, but this was such an overwhelming kind of battle of digital force. Mm. She, over, she was sold this incredible package and it was a sophisticated seduction and grooming process. Yeah, I have a, a real problem when we, we focus on Nadine's behaviour. We say, well, she was naive, she was stupid, she was taken in really easily. It's not her behaviour that's the problem, it's his. Mm. And I think we need to focus much more heavily on the perpetrators than we do on the victims. And as you've said before, normally you, you meet somebody in a pub, you ask their friends, your friends, you get a family history of what's going on. And especially in, in, in a small Muslim community where everybody would know everybody, then you'd have that kind of information. Here we've got a situation where the guy is X thousand miles away and there's no way of checking out his friendship groups, his family groups or anything. And yet at this stage, they're already talking about getting married, but they've barely spent any time 
together. Why talk about that threshold, that commitment, when they've spent so little time that's, in each other's company? That's not unusual in the Muslim community where arranged marriages take place, things like that. It would not strike her as being very odd to have not met or had a lot of interaction with her potential future husband. And he wants her to believe that he's going to be her husband, he's going to be part of her future, you know, not just a relationship but a respectable one. Mm. And that's, that's taking on board all of those kind of cultural expectations that, yes, dating is acceptable as long as it's a step to, to marriage. You know, dating for dating's sake is still something that, that isn't particularly acceptable, I think, in, in Muslim communities. So, so he really is kind of em- embellishing and furnishing this, this idea dear of himself. But we do see the beginnings of some clear warning signs. Almari becomes increasingly demanding of Nadine's attentions and even invented personal tragedies to occupy her, saying his mom was sick or that his sister had died. This is an escalation and it's very odd and it's very concerning. Why is he doing this? He's trying to kind of chip away at her so that everything that she is, she is for him. You know, he wants to be the, the centre of her, her world. He wants her completely under his control. And that's one way of doing it. Look at me, I'm so vulnerable. I'm the victim, I need you to look after me. And in so doing, I'm going to isolate you from the people around you and I'm going to get more control over you. But why is he doing this? It, it's to give the a, a, a power relationship. He's been in a very powerful situation. He's now giving her some of the power. He's this big macho FBI man and everything else but he's got a soft, gentle side. And he's doing this sensitive side to her, which women find incredibly appealing. They want macho man, but they want him soft and sensitive in the middle. And uh, they can't discount the fact that he is at every stage increasing the intensity in this, something which we know online you can do really rather quickly. It escalates really, really fast. So the... If you think of the the normal kind of progress of a relationship, you know, before you bring the internet into it, um, when you've got social media, when you've got dating sites, when you've got messenger services, you can be constantly chattering away and always kind of in each other's virtual presence, if not each other's physical presence. I mean, he, this is a grooming relationship. She may be 26, he may be 42. They may both be adults, but make no mistake, it appears to be a clear grooming kind of interaction and relationship and all done digitally. Do you think he's planning to kill her at this stage? I don't think so. I think at this stage it's about control. It's about keeping this woman in a relationship with him. I don't think that, that murder's on the agenda at this point in time. Throughout 2014, Almari and Nadine remained in near constant contact and in the summer she flew to New York to visit him and it should have been a dream trip but it did in fact turn into a nightmare. After picking her up at the airport, Almari drove her to a house which showed no resemblance to the one he'd shown online and he then held her captive in a basement and tried to rape her, according to Nadine, and then attempted to strangle her, according to her testimony. On her return to Wales, she tried to report Almari to the police for these offences, but she never followed up on the complaint. There was a structural issue there. But let's rewind a bit. He trapped her in a basement of a house she never recognised. Why so much violence? I mean, this was an extraordinary turn of events. Why not book her into a hotel and give her the weekend she expected? Probably because he didn't have the money. 
you you're expecting the seduction weekend and everything else, and then it's all going to end up in a beautiful sexual relationship. But if he hasn't got the money, or he doesn't have the respect for her, and it's just contempt, and therefore he's just going to have it away with her and not be bothered about it. I understand her problem trying to report a rape. I mean, she's got to relive the whole horrible situation. She's going to feel very degraded by the fact that she made the mistake and everything else. She certainly wouldn't want to tell her family if she could help it. And plus, he would argue it's a straightforward, she consented and it's a consensual issue, which is difficult to prove in a rape situation. She's in a country she doesn't understand, doesn't understand the legal system. She is truly very, very legally vulnerable and emotionally, psychologically very vulnerable. And I think by the time that she arrives in in New York, Almari thinks that she is his. She's Mm. my possession now. I've I've put all of this effort in. I've got this woman where I want her. Now I'm going to get what I want out of it. That's a really interesting point. Do you think at this stage she also now believes that she is his possession and that that is one of the reasons why she struggles even in New York and then in Wales to follow up on that, uh, her allegations that uh, he raped and or tried to rape and strangle her. Um, I don't. I don't think it's it's a case of he succeeded in absolutely stripping away every sense of of her identity in the way that some abusers do. But but what he's done, he's taken her out of her comfort zone. He's taken her out of her territory where she feels safe, where she knows how to to report a crime, where she knows how, where to go for help. She's in a completely alien environment here. And there was a dislocation. She did try and report uh, these offences, alleged offences in Wales, and then there was a problem with an interview suite, and so. Uh, in the moment when she felt comfortable reporting, the police were not able to help her. And then she pulled back. If he was planning to kill her, wouldn't that have been the more opportune time to do that rather than later on? Yeah, I don't think he was going to kill her at that point in time. When she, she arrived in New York, he just wanted to get what he felt he was entitled to because she was his possession. She was, she was mine at this point in time. On her return to Wales, Nadine attempted to end the relationship, but Almari bombarded her with abusive messages saying he would harm her and saying he would never give up. More worryingly, odd things started to happen in Nadine's life. Unbeknownst to Nadine, Almari had inserted spyware onto her phone and other. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Their electronic devices. He now had invaded her private life and knew exactly what she was doing. So why is he so keen to watch her from 3,000 miles away, Mike? Because he's in control. She's rejected him. He feels he's rejected. He's now gone into predatory mode as a stalker. And he's got the time and the energy. And some of these guys will spend hours and hours on stalking their victims. And all the time they're building up the argument, I control you, I know what you're wearing, what you're doing, where you're going, who you speak to. That is so intimidating to a victim that they then start withdrawing from society. They, they give up work or college or whatever. She must have been terrified out of her mind. And what effect is this having on Nadine? Oh, it would be making her so uncomfortable, so unhappy and depressed. And you would expect her to go into depression because she's seeing all this information about her behaviour from a guy that's 3,000 miles away. He shouldn't know what she's doing. And he's probably saying, I don't like that dress, I like this and that. He's giving her so much information, she would become terrified. And then the anxiety sets in, is he going to harm me? And then if this wasn't enough, Almari turned now to blackmail. Nadine spoke to her mother about what he was planning. Mum, she said he's got pictures of me, very compromised pictures of me in in various forms of undress, and he's blackmailing me, and I'm going to have to leave Cardiff, and I'm going to have to leave my life. We talk about Sinister, and this is now becoming a very public and threatening kind of war he is now waging on Nadine and on her life, and more importantly, on her future, Mike. Yes, I mean, he's basically threatened her whole existence. And we know from experience with stalking victims is that they become very depressed, very anxious, agoraphobic, they lose contact with everybody around them. And then the worst thing of all, they start blaming the family because they're the only ones near enough to them to know what's going on. And I've got to say, the last thing she would think about is actually having spy equipment on on a phone and on on a computer and a laptop and things like that. I wouldn't imagine she would have thought about that. She wouldn't have thought, A, there was any opportunity, and B, that he would have been that nasty to do it. I mean, the sense that she was a devout Muslim meant that this threat was even more acute. Oh, absolutely. So he's he's playing on those those social and cultural expectations about who Muslim women are and, and how they should behave. So he's ramping up his control and he's now controlling her through the, the threat of humiliation and degradation, which is a massive thing for someone. Now, why is that? Does he feel now he's losing control of her and that's why he has to escalate now to the crime of blackmail? Well, it's trying to get back control all of the time. He's, he's trying to be in control. And when she's resisting, when she's pulling back from that he's just trying to reel her back in again she's clearly trying to manage the situation has talked to her mother but now feels as if she can't really go to the police because that may be part of a future humiliation she doesn't want to go to the police by going to the police you're acknowledging that it's real you're setting in motion a particular process that is going to take quite a considerable period of time there's the risk that other people are going to find out that they're going to judge you and that you're going to be the one who, who ends up being blamed for it Mike, this blackmail threat, it's a very, how he presents, it's very 21st century crime. He was going to put it all over the internet where everybody could, could see. Yes, revenge porn is on the increase. We've got more and more laws being set up against it, but it's still a major threat 
that you can do this to an ex-partner, show pictures of an intimate nature that can be spread around the world in a matter of seconds. That would frighten the life out of her. And it's not just the person who's posted the pictures that the victim is afraid of. It's people who get hold of those pictures. What do they then do with them? How do they know, you know, that they've been deleted if the perpetrator is telling them that? By late 2014, Nadine was still being plagued by Almari. But there was a bright spot in her life. She'd met a new man, a 36-year-old mature design student called Daniel. But Almari had other ideas. Using spyware he had secretly installed on her phone, he knew of Daniel and this sent him into a jealous rage. He increased the number of abusive messages and demanded that she didn't meet Daniel again. Well, that's quite understandable. If he's controlling her, he's dictating her life, and then some other man comes in, he's going to threaten her even more so to get rid of the new man so that he is the man in her life. I mean, we talk about control and... uh, and jealousy and maybe he feels he's losing the love of his life but it seems something much more acute is going on here control doesn't seem really quite to to, to fit in well I certainly wouldn't use the word jealousy because that implies some kind of affection some kind of loving um, sort of feelings towards somebody I describe this as ownership and possession That's essentially what this is about. She's mine. Nobody else can have her. And this may have been the reason why he decided to take his next move. This was a twist in this extraordinary story. Almari decided to come to the UK to confront Nadine. And surprisingly, she agreed to meet him at Heathrow. Now, why was he coming to the UK in the first place, Liz? His attempts to control her remotely, to control her via the the internet and via the spyware, just weren't working. So he needed to escalate it. He needed to to change his behaviour. So he came across to try and exert control face to face. Was his aim to come and kill and murder her? Or was it just to try and rebalance the relationship and recover the ground he'd lost? I, I suspect it was to recover the lost ground. I don't see any indication here that he was going to murder her at all. But the sense that he, his control in the digital world wasn't working, now we're seeing him trying to exert control in the real world. Why didn't she sense any danger? Why did she agree to meet him in the airport? What we're doing again here is we're focusing on Nadine's behaviour, aren't we? We expect victims to be kind of meek and traumatised and, and not stand up for themselves. But Nadine was strong. She was independent. There was still a bit of Nadine left. And, and that's what was going on here. She was saying, no, I'm not putting up with this anymore. I'm going to tell you that I don't want you in my life. And actually, I'm going to take the control away from you. We don't know exactly what happened once Almari arrived in the UK, but this is what we do know. He arrived on the 27th of December and a day later, Nadine texted Daniel to say she had to go to London, saying that an ex had turned up on the scene. Two days after his arrival, we have CCTV footage showing Almari leaving and then returning to Nadine's apartment. It seems he was staying with Nadine. Later that evening, Nadine's younger brother, Eamon, went to her apartment. So I opened up the uh, letterbox and I could see, you know, a pair of man's legs. They definitely weren't women's, you know. So I called out through the letterbox um, saying, I can see you, open the door, who's that? And the legs just kind of scuttered off somewhere down the hallway. A few minutes later, he just said, oh, is that you, Eamon? And he opened the door. So I was alarmed by this to see him in my sister's flat, my sister absent, didn't know, there's no, I don't know how he got in here. And then things, then we kind of got into a bit of an altercation. 
Shortly after the argument with Eamon, Nadine arrived with her older brother, Jamal. Protected by her brothers, she told him she wanted nothing more to do with him and Jamal drove Almari to the railway station and warned him to leave his sister alone. Why do you think she'd allowed him to come to the apartment or was she able to prevent him coming to the apartment? I don't think that she felt she was in any physical danger from him. So this is her territory now. She's got her family around her. This is where she lives. And I think she feels that she's in control. If he had planned to kill her, why hadn't he done so by now, Mike? I don't think he planned to kill her at that moment. I think the brothers' role is important here, that uh, they are threatening him. It's putting him under under pressure. I don't think he's very enamoured with the idea of her brothers getting involved. Although that would be the exact thing I would expect her to have done to get her brothers involved and, and basically frighten this, this guy away. And, of course, she didn't call the police to follow up on those other incidents because now this story had moved on. If we, we think about it by telling the police she's kind of going to extend this problem, she wants to contain it, she wants it over and she just she wants him to go away. Almari still, though, had no intention of giving up. He booked himself into a local hotel and started drinking. Then he got the hotel reception to call Nadine and he told Nadine that he'd left his phone and passport at the flat and she needed to bring them to the hotel so he could leave. And she agreed. Why did she agree, Liz? Still at this point in time, I don't think that she feels he, he represents a, a, kind of a physical danger to her. The main thing that is on her mind, she wants this over with. He wants his phone, he wants his passport. Right, I'm going to take them to him. I'm going to take the initiative. I'm going to deliver them to him. And then he's gone. She came to his room and then headed to a local restaurant. Witnesses said that things were clearly not good between them. At 11pm, she went back to his hotel room. She would never be seen alive again. Almari killed Nadine and left the hotel around midnight. Now, we questioned why she would meet him and then go to a restaurant with him and then go back to the hotel room. But, you know, the question is, why, why, why? Maybe she had to pick something up from him. Maybe he was promising her the pictures that he was going to use in the revenge porn. Maybe he's making promises to give her something, so she's got to go back. Why kill her and why kill her now? Essentially what's happened here is that he has changed the project. So he's been trying to control Nadine by keeping her in the relationship with him. That hasn't worked. So basically he changes what he's doing. He changes from trying to control her by keeping her in the relationship to destroying her for leaving it. So he strangles her, and but he leaves all these other marks and abrasions. This is a sign of somebody who's nearly punishing her. And it's quite proprietary, isn't it? You are mine. I can do what I want with your body. And he washes the body and gives it some kind of ceremonial kind of send-off and wraps her up in that white sheet and leaves her on the body and then casually and callously goes to a casino. Doesn't he realise what he's done? Is You know, he seems to make no significant efforts to cover his tracks. No, but what's fascinating, he's washed her body, he's treated her body with a lot of respect. In the Muslim culture, when somebody dies, you would wash them and put them in a shroud. He's done that. He's given her respect, which goes quite in contrast with all the disrespect he's given her for the X number of years. And I find that quite interesting, how his culture values impose 
so much on him that he actually breaks his, his behaviour and does something culturally. Yeah, I don't think that's what's going on here at all. I or you think he, it's evident, getting rid of the evidence? I think he's beginning to craft a story here. So he spun a bit of a line, didn't he, saying that Nadine had taken her own life and he was trying to kind of reinforce that narrative. So by appearing to show respect for her body, he's presenting himself in a particular way. No, but we've got overkill here. We've got a guy who's strangled, which is a very personalised way of killing somebody, and then biting and leaving his marks on her, there's no way he's going to be able to say she committed suicide. Suicide would have had to be, well, A, it goes against the Muslim religion to start with, and B, it would have had to be something of a strangulation with a rope or something, and that wasn't there. But I think he's beginning the narrative. He's getting ahead, he's getting in control, and he's painting a picture in which Nadine is the problem. Perhaps reality then hits home around 3am as he takes Nadine's car and then heads to Heathrow. And here he catches a flight to Qatar while Nadine's body lies undiscovered in the hotel room. And presumably now he is escaping justice. He realises he hasn't done enough to cover up the crime and he's got to run for cover. Yes, because, I mean, he he put a a do not disturb on the door, so it gave him a few hours. But you would have thought he would have removed her body, put it in the car, hid that, and that would have given him more time. He's very, very rushed in the way he's, he's dealt with the situation, very kind of impulsive, just going from one situation to another. Liz, does he think at this stage he's actually going to get away with this crime? He probably does. I think he's, he's such an arrogant individual. He's killed Nadine and he wants to get out of there. And I think he really does think he can save his own skin here. Her body was discovered by the hotel duty manager. Meanwhile, Almari left Qatar and headed towards Tanzania. But then we have another twist. Almari contacted the UK police to say that Nadine had asked him to help her commit suicide, saying that she wanted to die. To add to the plot, he left a false suicide note allegedly signed by Nadine. He also told police he was actually in Thailand. Now, why is he calling the police, Mike? He's trying to confuse them, put them on the wrong track. He knows he's committed an offence. He's going to hide in somewhere that he feels is safe. He's also called the hotel asking them if they've found the body yet. Seems quite bizarre, Liz. It does, but he wants to know exactly what's going on. He doesn't want any uncertainty. He wants control. So he wants to know everything that's happening. So, I mean, Mike, he genuinely doesn't believe this suicide story will stick. No, it just gives him a few hours of extra time. Don't forget, he's flown to Qatar, he's then flown to Tanzania, he spent a lot of time in the plane, he doesn't know what's going on, he's thinking about it, he's got to try and come up with some way to protect his escape route. An international arrest warrant was then issued for Almari and eventually he was caught and extradited back to the UK. He was tried in Cardiff Crown Court in November 2016 and initially he admitted manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility, claiming he heard the voice of God in his head that told him to kill Nadine. Another different defence here, equally unrealistic, Mike. No history of psychiatric problems in the past and if you're going to do the manslaughter one and hearing God, you've got to have a history of psychotic behaviour. On the second day of the trial, he did, however, change his plea to guilty to murder. Why? Well, it's to maintain control again. It's it's doing something unexpected. He's pulling people's strings here. And he's also probably assessing the, the situation for himself. So if you, you plead guilty, then you, you draw a line and you cut the amount of exposure that, that you're getting. I mean, this was a murder born and bred on the internet in the digital world. 
Is this a crime that could only have taken place in this digital era, Liz? I think this crime could have taken place without the internet, but what the internet has enabled here, it's opened up a hunting ground for a, for a predator. He would have done it, but he would have done it with a different victim. If it wasn't this victim, you're saying he would have... If he didn't kill at this stage, he would have killed someone else. I think there's a high risk that this man would have done serious harm to another victim. Why seek out a lover, a potential lover or victim in Cardiff rather than uh, in New see- York? She sought him. You're in much more control. If she's 3,000 miles away, she can't turn up on the door. So the woman he's having an affair with at the moment, or the next one planned up, this one's kept under control miles and miles away. So the irony is in this digital era he was much more in control of a woman 3,000 miles away than he would have been with a potential lover or suitor in New York on his doorstep. Absolutely because it it enabled him to manage the risk of being caught out earlier. What kind of murderer was he? How would you define him? Well for me Almari is an example of a predator who uses the internet essentially as a hunting ground to find victims. Do you think this death could have been avoided? I I, I see obviously that intervention if the police had followed up if she'd made that report, if something had happened there, then perhaps it mightn't have happened. Other than that, could this death have been avoided? Probably not. It really is that that thorny issue of domestic abuse and, and that need to take victims more seriously. Sami Almari was found guilty of murder and given a life sentence. Thank you to my guests, Dr Elizabeth Yardley and Dr Mike Berry. And of course, you can watch the full documentary of Click for Murder, Sami Almari on CBS Reality. From me, Donald McIntyre, it's goodbye for now. Hold up. 